ensuring ethical practices in supply chains is a never-ending challenge. How do we get it right? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. We've all heard the horror stories of terrible working conditions in factories that churn out the products that we consume with such passion. Often they take place in distant locales, with the original manufacturer claiming ignorance of the site in question. Occasionally, as with the collapse of the Rana Plaza factory complex in Bangladesh in 2013, multiple deaths are involved. So how can brands make sure that their commitment to fair labor practices is being followed throughout the supply chain? One key player in that effort is Asia Inspection, which deploys over 2,000 inspectors and auditors the world round to monitor factory working conditions. Today, I'm speaking with Global Sales Director Michael Bland, who will fill us in on the progress to date of efforts to ensure ethical supply chains, what remains to be done, and how we can prevent suppliers from slipping in their day-to-day labor practices. What's the best way to get them on board and keep them there? Here is my conversation with Michael Bland. Michael Bland, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Bob. Happy to be here. Michael, what progress has been made to date in ensuring safe and ethical working practices at factories around the world? Where are we on that? That's a great question. Actually, we've had a lot of progress. It depends on where you want to start the discussion. But if we're thinking back to the 90s when there was a lot of press about children in Malaysia making shoes or garments or things like that, there's been a lot of progress that's been done. And I would say initially by textile brands and manufacturers, and now really just about everyone. At this point, I would say that well over 80% of companies, brands worldwide are looking into corporate social responsibility programs where they're looking into their manufacturing, their supply chains, and really trying to have a process of ethical sourcing. It's not to say that there's not a lot of improvement that needs to be done. There is. But comparing to the early 90s, if we're talking about 30 years, there's been a huge amount of progress where really there was nothing in place before that. And even more recently, just a few, it's been a few years now since the Rana Plaza factory collapse, which killed over a thousand workers, as I recall. Uh, We haven't had any disaster on that scale in the last couple of years, at least, have we? No, no. But to be fair, that's the largest disaster in supply chain history. There was 1,515 workers killed and 2,500 plus injured. I mean, that was just a horrible tragedy. And really, the reason that it was so bad, in addition to the loss of life, was that it could have been prevented. I mean, people knew what was going on and nothing was really done to stop it. Nothing has happened since then like that, but there have been, for example, in this case, building collapses in China, in India, in Vietnam that have killed 40, 50, 60 people and injured hundreds more. That's certainly still taking place. The issue of building safety, this critical life safety, is not just Bangladesh, and that's 
was the biggest problem five years ago is that the companies like major brands around the world looked at that and said, we need to go into Bangladesh. We need to fix this problem. And they created the Bangladesh Accord and the alliance from the U.S. and European retailers, and they've made progress in Bangladesh. But what have you done outside Bangladesh? Buildings could collapse. There's problems with soil and everything else all around the world. That's still a major issue that has not been addressed as much as, say, child labor or forced labor. Yeah, of course, less dramatic, but also of equal importance are just actual working conditions within factories, wages, hours, safety features in buildings over and above the actual structural solidity of the building. So this is not a problem that has been completely solved to the extent that we still have a problem with unethical working conditions where is the problem? How widespread is it? Where is it in terms geographically and types of factories, types of industries? Where's the most serious issues today? It depends on where you're looking. So if you looked in China, the biggest problem that we find is on exactly what you said, working hours. Factories not paying their workers for the hours they work, not paying them correctly for overtime, working them more than the legal hours, working them for, say, two, three weeks at a time without a break. These kinds of things are what's the most prevalent in China. But if you were to take a look at a country like Turkey, where there's still quite a lot of sourcing, especially in the apparel industry, with the recent problems with Syrian refugees, you're finding things like forced labor and child labor there, which hadn't been the case before that. And what I mean by forced labor is things like modern slavery, where taking away the workers' right to leave, perhaps, locking dormitories, taking away their travel documents, or in the case of Syrian refugees, they may not even have any documents, so they're kind of at the mercy of the factories who may not be treating them that well because they're exploiting them as cheap, illegal labor. Now, to the extent that companies that are having their products produced in those locations do not know about these things. They're finding out it's always a surprise, often seems to be a surprise. Where are the big gaps in communication and information that keep them from being able to have that visibility of what's going on in factories overseas? I don't think that there's really that huge of a gap for any major brand or retailer they know the threats that are out there, and most of them have programs to look at their tier one suppliers, the first level. It's the suppliers of raw materials coming into those tier ones, the tier two, the tier three, tier four, which may not be very visible to them. And that's partially because they haven't gone to tier two, tier three, tier four. That's a recent movement in, say, the last seven, eight years, and only the most influential ethical companies are doing that so far. So that's definitely something that other companies need to look into doing, enforcing the ethical labor standards below tier one. That's the major thing that I think needs to happen. And then there are small to medium businesses that don't have a CSR plan in force and really should. Aren't there still challenges involved in simply identifying all of the different locations in the multiple tiers of a supply chain, just finding out where these factories are? Most of the suppliers will tell you their main factory, but this is where we come to the topic of unauthorized subcontracting, where not necessarily knowing when they decide to farm out that work that's been assigned to them to someone else, is that actually visible to a retailer or a brand? I think that's where the real problem comes in. And, of course, the answer is no in many cases, that these uh, companies of the Tier 1s or Tier 2s are moving the stuff up the supply chain without the knowledge of the original brand. 
So let's talk about potential solutions as to how the brands can get a better hook on what's going on here and how they can achieve better visibility, thereby making progress and stopping these types of practices altogether. So from the very start of a relationship with a supplier or a manufacturer, what should a brand do or an OEM do at that initial stage of onboarding the supplier to make sure that things are going to proceed in an ethical manner? Well, I think communication and transparency is really key and having more of a cooperation mindset than this comply or die mindset, which was so prevalent in the 90s and you know the early 2000s. And it's something that the CSR industry has really moved away from. The idea is not, I want to go in and police my factories and get rid of the ones that don't comply because that's just not a sustainable model. You may have factories that are really key to your production, that they make some product that no one else can or that you haven't found anyone else that makes it as well. So you really need to work with your suppliers. And why not? Why not make everything better for your suppliers and make it better for the workers there? So being very transparent with the goals of the program and how the suppliers will be judged, letting them know that, you know what, I'm not trying to get rid of you. In fact, I'd love to help you grow your business in an ethical way that means that I can ask for more product from you, that you're able to sell your products to more retailers and brands worldwide. It's a win-win situation. This is what we're looking to do. And a company like AI is going to come in and be monitoring this and helping us work together and providing advice for both ends. And if they feel that way, then there's a lot more chance of cooperation, a lot more commitment from them. So that's one of the key things that they can do. And it's why we always recommend launching a CSR program with a supplier seminar where a third party like AI helps organize this together with the brand and the suppliers and all of their factories and trying to start that relationship in the right way with that mode of cooperation versus the complier die attitude. What about on-site training of workers so that the workers themselves understand the expectations of them at the same time, the rights that they have on the job? There are companies that do that, and we work with them as partners. It's what's called a worker voice solution, where we try to empower the workers by giving them solutions through like smartphones or SMS texts or voice calls to them, let them know how they can give feedback. We always give them also little feedback cards where they can contact us through a various different ways, phone calls, SMS, WeChat, WhatsApp, any of these apps that are out there, whatever works for them best so that they can give feedback beyond just going to a social audit, but let them feedback anytime so that you can get their voice at their convenience. Now, on more than one occasion in the past, we have had major brands maintain very strong supplier codes of conduct, at least give a lot of lip service to the fact that they want ethical working conditions on the site. And then those OEMs or brands themselves will make unreasonable demands on the factory in terms of turnaround time, in terms of volume, essentially incentivizing the factory to cut corners because it can't make money on the current set of conditions based on what the OEM or brand is demanding of them. Does this happen? And what do you do? What does the supplier or the manufacturer do in that sort of case when the brand that professes to care about these things is making demands on them that make it impossible for them to keep up those standards. It's a great point. And what we often say in manufacturing is there are three things, speed, quality, and price. Pick two. 
So <laughs> obviously when a brand or a manufacturer demands all three, this is exactly what happens, what you said, that one of these things has to suffer. And one of the things that they may do is to outsource. If they can find a cheaper raw materials, which will affect the quality, they can find another supplier who doesn't maybe have the ethical practices in place that will do it cheaply, then this becomes one of the problems. Or maybe they just don't have the capacity. They're asking for too much volume in too short of time. And they not trying to do anything unethical. They're simply looking to one of their good friends who also has a factory and they want to outsource that production and still get some piece of it. This is a common business practice for any business, not just in the supply chain. So these kind of subcontracting are not necessarily a bad thing, but it's the not having visibility of it, which is the bad thing. So it's just why if there's a model of transparency and cooperation and the brands and retailers let them know, we don't have a problem with you subcontracting necessarily. We just want to know about it because we do care that mm -hmm. your workers are treated ethically. Our brand is important to us as well as the workers in the supply chain, and it's important to our consumers. So we want to know about it. And if you need to subcontract, we'd like to know about it so that we can help build those factories up as well to make sure they're in compliance. Okay, so you've got the supplier code of conduct in place. You've onboarded a supplier. There's understanding all around that this is your expectations of that supplier in terms of ethical working conditions. Now the challenge becomes how to monitor continued compliance over the life of the relationship. Clearly, uh, Asia Inspection is one body or one organization that can do that. Tell me a little bit about what you guys do on behalf of brands and manufacturers in order to ensure continued compliance? Essentially, the basic thing that we offer is a program where, again, we'd start out with a supplier seminar, make sure that everyone's onboarded correctly, and then the continual monitoring of it is the next stage, going in on a regular basis to the factories to check them through initially an audit program. So what is it that you want to make sure your factories are doing? We help create that program with the suppliers. We can use international standards such as BSCI, Smeta, or we can use a customized checklist we create together with you. And we have our own checklist, which are looking at basic things that are part of compliance, health, labor practices, things like that. So going in on a regular basis, we usually recommend a minimum of once per year. And the reason why we do that, for example, in China is Chinese New Year. Every year, the factory has all of its workers leave, 100% of them leave for at least two weeks, sometimes as much as four, and then usually only about 50% come back. So every year, it's a new factory. And these holidays also happen around October as well in China for their National Day celebration. So at any one of these times, workers will try to find better jobs closer to their hometown or better paying jobs in the same city. So it's really important to regularly monitor. And then when you find noncompliances, the key thing is that a program is not just a once a year audit. It's when you find the noncompliances, what are you doing about them? Because from a legal standpoint, what did you know and when did you know it is always important. And also from an ethical standpoint, if I know that there's a problem and I do nothing about it, what message does that send to my suppliers? You have to have a follow-up, which means that we go back into those factories and check again what's happened after a certain amount of time, perhaps a month, two months later, depending on the severity of the noncompliance. And some things we might be able to do through a documentation review. And then every once in a while, 
as we have a system that's tracking various KPIs throughout your supply chain, every one of your suppliers, your factories, what are the different non-compliances? We can help the manufacturers and the brands understand what are the trends throughout different regions. As we identify those, it makes sense to hold more seminars for their factories to help them come into compliance for common non-compliances that are found throughout their supply chain. Are the factories informed in advance of the carrying out of these audits and factory visits? That's a good question. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. So there's three different levels of audits that we perform. One is an announced audit where they are informed in advance. We'll be coming on July 17th from, say, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Please have everything ready. And then we have semi-announced audits where we give them a window. We'll be there somewhere between July 15th and July 31st, but we don't tell you the exact day. And then there's unannounced audits where we don't tell you anything at all. And they're all different tools that can be used. In general, with a transparent, cooperative program, we don't recommend using only unannounced audits because then the factories still feel very highly policed. They don't feel that cooperation at all. But it is a tool to use sometimes when you might be suspecting that they aren't being upfront and you'd like to do an additional audit, then every once in a while finding these higher risk factories, we do an unannounced audit there. In addition to that, we do other things like neighborhood audits where we don't just talk to the factory itself, but we talk to neighboring businesses. For example, if we find that maybe there is some subcontracting, is there commonly trucks arriving here at this factory with finished goods? Have you seen that? Or maybe we find a suspicion that they're working unreasonable hours, not paying their workers overtimes. The factory documentation they give us all says that they don't do this, but we do a night audit where we show up at, say, 9 to 11 p.m. at night and just monitor the factory. Are the lights on? Are people walking around in the production rooms? Just to give extra information. These are all tools that we could potentially use, both announced and unannounced. Do you interview the workers out of earshot of the supervisors? Uh, that's always what we try to do, at least out of earshot, hopefully out of eyeshot as well, if that's a word. Uh, mm -hmm. We try to separate them. So definitely part of the audit process is walking around and identifying some workers, partially random, partially targeting, for example, young-looking workers or workers that are in a more dangerous production line with, say, toxic chemicals or some kind of laceration hazards or things with that they may have known of some problems. So identify those workers, pull them out one by one into a separate room. We always ask the factory to not have the factory manager attend in any way. Sometimes that isn't possible because the factory manager insists. The auditors will be firm but professional. If they insist to be there, we definitely make a note of this. This is something that the brand or the manufacturer needs to know because it usually indicates a high level of pressure put on that worker probably coaching as well. Well, obviously, the main reason to do this is because it is morally the right thing to do. But there is also the issue of profits. These are, after all, profit-making companies. And one of the great incentives to correct moral behavior is that you'll lose sales and, and brand reputation if you engage in it. So do you believe that the public, the consuming public in general, cares about these issues to the extent that if they find out that unethical practices are happening at factories that make the products that they buy, that they won't buy those products, they will take action and brands will actually be damaged? 
Well, it's not a question of my belief, Bob. That's reality. As we're coming with younger generations that are more connected online and seem to care about it, especially if you look at the millennial age group, this is exactly how they shop. They go online. They're looking at product reviews. There's many different websites that are out there that are giving you ethical information, giving you ethical alternatives. I mean, this is just a a fact, especially of the online shopping world with connected information. So uh, it's not about my belief, but when you talk about the question of cost and sales, I don't think that looking at an ethical sourcing program is really a cost. I find it more of an investment. We talked earlier about what happens every Chinese New Year in China at these factories. All these workers leave, only 50% come back. And then you have a less trained workforce, lower quality products, difficult to make sales, higher costs of returns. But what if you were ethically sourcing? What if you helped those factories become ethical factories? More of the workers return. You have a more trained workforce. You have higher quality products. We've actually found at AI through our internal studies, there is a very high correlation between factories that score high on an ethical audit and the quality of their products when we do production inspections. So it really is an investment on behalf of brands and retailers to help those factories become more ethical factories. Ethical factories retain their workers and have higher quality products. So really, it's what I said before, it's really a win-win situation to have really strong ethical programs. Well, it's heartening to know that progress has been made over the decades and that the work of organizations like Asia Inspection are actually causing additional progress in this area that consumers and companies are aware. But Michael Bland, I want to thank you so much for spending some time with us to explain the situation with regard to ethical supply chains and how we can move forward and make them even more so. Thank you very much for being with us today. It's absolutely my pleasure, Bob. And if any of your listeners would like to reach out to us, they can contact us through asiainspection.com. Thank you so much. That was my conversation with Michael Bland of Asia Inspection, talking about the struggle to create ethical supply chains. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.